and good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another exciting show for you lined up this week. A bit later in the program we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips that might help our business perform a little bit better. We're also uh, looking at the cloud and how that might uh, affect our business. But right now we're going to talk with Robert Stark, who's a solicitor with Baker Love Lawyers, about the importance of having shareholders and partnership agreements. Good afternoon, Robert. Hi, Julian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so I suppose the first question we need to ask is, what is a shareholders agreement or partnership agreement? Sure, absolutely. A, a shareholders agreement is effectively a written agreement between shareholders or partners of a business. So simply put, it, it enables the parties to regulate and exercise their rights and obligations in the form of an agreement. So, so, so who needs one? Is it, is it for all shareholders, all partners? Basically, anybody who's in business with a business partner or anybody who's in business with multiple shareholders should have a shareholders agreement or a partnership agreement in place. So it's effectively, if you are in business on your own, there's obviously no need for it. But if you have a business partner in some way or form, whether it's by way of a, a corporation or an informal partnership arrangement, it should be formalized. So obviously there could be potential problems arising if we didn't have one. Absolutely, Julian. So basically what would happen is if, if there's no agreement in place and one business partner or one shareholder wants to sell shares, wants to retire, uh, becomes disabled, passes away, then there's no mechanism in place to allow for that exit. That's obviously very problematic in those circumstances. Secondly, if there's no agreement in place and someone wants to exit and there's no way of valuing the shares, then that's another potential okay. issue that needs to be addressed. So, so, so that relates to people exiting, but what about you know the general running of the partnership? Uh, problems occur in there sometimes too, doesn't it? Exactly. So it also helps monitor how, how, the, how the business is conducted. And so I suppose then another question you have to ask yourself is, well, what's, what's included in these shareholder agreements or what can be included? So aside from exit strategies, some other things that come to mind are, well, how, we, how are the meetings going to be conducted among the business partners? How are we going to discuss budgeting issues, business plans, accounting uh, basic management reports of the ongoing status of the business. So that would include also the financing po- uh, policy or, or how are we going to deal with dividends and, of course, any personal rights and obligations of, of shareholders or partners. So, so, for example, one of the uh, issues that I see happen a lot in businesses is personality conflicts. Uh, you know, things are very good when we first set up a business or partnership, but down the track, uh, people sort of tend to go off in their different directions. Is that sort of thing covered in a, in a partnership agreement? Yes, absolutely, Julian. So I, I always advise my clients to, to make sure that, that agreements of this nature are prepared at the start of the business. Obviously, the business partners are typically very excited to go into business together, and now would, now would be that time to establish the agreement so that if there is an argument or if there is a change of position, whether it's personality-based or otherwise, there is a plan for, for that to be, for that to take place so that 
the exiting partner or exiting shareholder can can exit, and there will be a smooth and, and certain transition period. How can you overcome a situation where, you know, let's say we've got two partners and there's a there's a, a, a disagreement. Uh, one person, let's say, one partner wants to buy a truck and the other partner doesn't. How, how do you resolve something like that? Again, that would also be captured in this agreement. So there'd yeah. be a, what's called a dispute resolution clause in there. Okay. And so if there's a dispute among the the, the parties involved, there's mechanisms in place that that help deal with it. So it might be a case where you appoint an independent third party, perhaps the company's accountant, to help make those decisions and and add clarity. And of course, if the decision is not able to be resolved and and there's an ongoing conflict, then there's mediation aspects, they go to arbitration. It's all to do with avoiding litigation. And I suppose the same thing happens in an exit situation where, okay, we decide to decide to dissolve the partnership and we've got assets there. We might have a, a business name or a website or something like that or a database. That would be covered somehow in the, in the partnership agreement? Absolutely. So, there, so there's no, no such thing as a standard partnership agreement. It's, mm. it's obviously it's, it's streamlined to account for your business needs. So the business partners understand what they have by way of assets. As you mentioned, there might be some domain names to deal with, business names to, be, to deal with. And so as much detail as possible should be included in these agreements. And to effectively account for the worst-case scenario, whereby someone wants to exit and it's not amicable, and yeah. also to deal with very amicable situations whereby one of the business partners wants to retire and, and do something else and an agreement like this will, will deter the conflict. And I suppose one of the other areas that we should cover is uh, um, if there is a death, you, most partnerships will have some sort of an insurance cover so that uh, their estate uh, pays out the, the other partner. Exactly. So there's a, there's a buy-sell arrangement within these agreements typically. Sometimes it's by way of insurance. Sometimes it's by way of money savings within the company. So as you just mentioned, if, if it's insurance, we'd have to make sure that the insurance premium that's taken out is enough to pay out the, mm. the, the people who are benefiting, benefiting from, those, from that estate. So if, if God forbid, a, a business partner does pass away, um, perhaps that person's partner will be paid out by way of the insurance premium. And, and that's something that's dealt with on a case-by-case basis. Are there any other benefits we haven't mentioned that uh, of, of having a shareholder or a partnership agreement? We've, we've covered pretty much m- most of the things that that, uh, that I was hoping to communicate to, to your audience. Uh, aside from that, it, it just adds certainty to to the commercial arrangement that you're in you're in with your business partner, and it helps helps avoid conflict going forward. So there might be a case where there's compulsory buy agreements mm. and compulsory sell agreements. It might be a case where you want your business partner to exit from the company for perhaps no apparent reason. That there would be a mechanism in there to make sure that that exiting partner is is dealt with accordingly and and is compensated appropriately as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your time, uh, Robert. We'll have a chat with you again another time. My, my, my pleasure, Julian. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Robert Stark there from Baker Love Lawyers, helping us to understand the importance of that uh, 
partnership and shareholder agreement. And yes, certainly uh, I've witnessed in the past uh, lots of problems when people don't have that uh, partnership agreement in place. So it's always important to visit your solicitor and have a chat with them. And I thought we'd spend the next few minutes talking about the cloud. And no, we're not talking about the weather. First of all, could I ask a question? What would happen if your business burnt down today? If your business burnt down today, what would happen? Would everything fall into pieces or would you be able to move to a different location, retrieve your files and data and keep going without too much fuss? Well, according to statistics, 50% of small businesses never reopen after a disaster. And that could be a fire, it could be a flood, or it could just be losing all your data on a hard disk. With the developments in cloud technology, it's easy for businesses to store and retrieve information from any location and device as long as they have an internet connection. But of course, uh, then questions come up about what is this uh, cloud computing? Some interesting statistics, 54% of people claim they've never used the cloud, 95% have used the cloud but don't know it, 51% believe that stormy weather has an effect on cloud computing, 29% think the cloud has something to do with the weather, and only 16% correctly think that the cloud is a place to store access and share data. And yet in 2012, 65% of people banked online, 63% of people shopped online, 58% of people used social media, 45% played online games, 29% shared photos online, 19% used online file sharing. There are 50 million servers in the world, 425 million people use Gmail, 150 people, million people use Apple, iCloud, and 58, uh, 58 million people use Dropbox. So it's estimated that by 2016, 340 million people around the world will have moved to the cloud. And of course, the, the question often comes up, well, how secure is it? Well, as we've just indicated with some of these statistics, People are already using it quite extensively in banking and in storing data and in just storing their emails up there on Gmail. So uh, obviously these organisations such as banks wouldn't be using cloud storage if it wasn't secure and a lot of uh, experimentation and, and research has gone into making sure that it is the benefits for a small to medium business is that you don't have to have an IT department outsourcing your IT needs when you, when you need to. Cloud computing has many software benefits. If you need to buy software for your business, you can purchase only the software that you need through cloud computing. And of course, these days, Microsoft uh, 365 is cloud-based. Uh, most of the accounting packages now are cloud-based and uh, a lot of the Adobe programs are cloud-based. So uh, it means that you don't have to outlay all of these big um, data or, or costs in buying uh, software programs. Um, and there is abundance of uh, cloud computing services out there, so you, what you've really got to ask is, do they have the product that you need? Is the company established and with a good client record? And will they be able to meet your goals in the timetable that you've established? You gather, gather the list of providers and feel fine that they meet your needs, then it's certainly something that's worth considering. As I say, a lot of people have moved up onto that cloud and they just 
don't know that they have. Let's have a look at a couple of the uh, Harvard Business Review tips. The first one is four situations that a meeting can't solve. We are meeting out. So before adding another one to everyone's calendars, see if there's a better way to accomplish your goal. You definitely should not schedule a meeting if, firstly, the subject isn't worth everyone's time. Say you discover a vendor overcharged your unit on several recent orders. The overcharges are minor and you can deal with the situation simply by calling the vendor and addressing the errors. Secondly, group members are upset and already and aren't ready to talk. When there's a conflict, people may need time apart before they're ready to tackle, tackle the situation. The third one, the issue is better handled one-on-one. For example, if you're gathering information about an employee's poor performance. And finally, you need to get a lot of individual opinions. You're likely to get more honest feedback if you send out electronic survey than if you ask attendees to provide feedback in group settings. We certainly are all meeting out sometimes, aren't we? And we're at this one. Encourage your team to give each other feedback. Providing feedback is how you make sure your team gets work done on time and on budget. But you shouldn't be the only one holding people accountable. Enlist team members to applaud good conduct and to speak up to fix unproductive behaviour. When everyone gives each other candid feedback, people feel more ownership. You might have to persuade some people, those who aren't used to giving feedback, who avoid bearing bad news or who fear hurting people's feelings. Have a frank discussion to find out why giving feedback is so hard for them and then frame accountability as a continuous improvement process. So certainly feedback is a way of improving an organisation and if everyone does it, we get much better results. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've uh, looked at the importance of having a shareholders or partnership agreement. And, of course, uh, many partnerships do suffer if they don't have that. And we've talked about the cloud, not the weather, but cloud computing. Next week, we'll have some more business and legal news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You.